Hey guys, welcome to Radical Rocks. I'm your host Shane and today we've got a very exciting episode with Minnesota agates, gemstones in sand, universe of gemstones, and so much more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. The first thing I found was a geocrystals. Quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard. But the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name. Felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, that's right. Radical rocks are everywhere, folks. Well, today we've got a very exciting episode for you. I've already kind of highlighted the Minnesota agates, um, the gemstone sand. We have some bizarre rocks on Mars to talk about. A little bit of dinosaur news. A couple of gold mines. Gold mining in Texas, which was once known as the lost gold of El Paso del Norte. And so much more, guys. So, um, if you're not already following us on social media, please come check us out. Um, you can find us on MeWe, Parlor, Gitter, Locals, True Social. Um, we have a YouTube channel with over a thousand subscribers there. By the way, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. It really helps us out. Um, we appreciate the tens of thousands of downloads and hundreds of listeners that come and listen, but uh, we do need your support as a subscriber at least. Thank you. Um, hey, the Orange Belt Mineralogical Society, our friends over there in California, they sent out their newsletter here, and uh, I didn't get a chance to look it over because it didn't download, but um, they've got workshops, they've got uh, a rock sale going on, they've got a field trip, um, they had one where there was uh, several people who went through and got the genuine Mojave agate. Uh, this is a beautiful uh, agate that is found in Mojave. Not too many people really even know about this. But also they have other um, colorful jaspers and things like that that they are going to get uh, at the Lavic Siding area. They've got pictures of some of the gemstones here. Uh, no close-ups, but uh, there they are. So... Good, good uh, feedback from those folks over there. Also, gold panning. Gold panning in Georgia. I don't know if you're not from Georgia, you probably didn't know it, but Georgia, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Georgia, or Georgia, the state of Georgia, there's some good gold mining to be found there. Some good gold panning can happen. There's a lot of uh, very nostalgic places you can go check out. Our friends at Rock and Jim at rock, the letter N, dot Jim, dot com, they tell us about gold panning in Georgia here. If you subscribe to their email, they'll send these out to you, too. And I really suggest you get a subscribe to their magazine. But they talk about this gold in Georgia was actually discovered by the Spanish and the French way back in 1560. They processed that out until about 1690. Thomas Jefferson referred to this gold discovery in Virginia in 1782, and in 1799, gold was discovered in North Carolina. 
Uh, it was found there uh, in 1828. A year later, it was found in Maryland. It was found in Dahalongia, if I'm saying that right. They found quartz veins here in Maryland, together with pyrite and galena, mostly near the Great Falls of the Potomac River. Maryland Gold Fever cites this in his book, Walter Gotis in 1979. It was revised in 1999. And Maryland became the state known as the northern end of the Appalachian Gold Belt. Quite a bit of gold mining going on there. If you go to this, De Halong, I, I'm probably saying it wrong. It's D-A-H-L-O-N-E-G-A. The Delongia, whatever. Delonga. Gold Museum History Site. This was established in 1837. This was the old Lumpkin County Courthouse. And they have all these different sites that you can see about the gold prospecting area, all the history. This article, by the way, goes into it extensively. We'll just cover some of the, the highlights. They've got a stunning exhibit of Georgia gold with a gold pan, uh, all kinds of gold inside this gold pan from fine to flour to nuggets to gold ore specimens, and then several more larger uh, pieces and chunks around it that you can check out. Also, the consolidated gold mine was in this area. It uh, has a 45-minute underground adventure tour that takes you 200 feet underground. The tour guide shares uh, stories and history and struggles about this area. Probably the largest gold plant east of the Mississippi. It had a 120-stamp mill, 500-foot tunnel, numerous small buildings. It's an $18 admission, which you get to do some gold, manning, gold panning and get a little sample. And that is located at 185 Consolidated Mine. It's actually open seven days a week, they say. The Crimson Gold Mine is an open pit gold mine when it uh, was started in 1847. It was explored until about 1980s. There's mining and tunneling and even hydraulic mining was done there. And an open pit operation that continues till today. Uh, they have an old tin stamp mill there still in use today to crush the, uh, the gold bearing quartz. They... Uh, are still using it. You can actually go visit this. Um, the Crimson Mine is located at 2736 Morrison Moore Parkway in Holinga and is open seven days a week. So pretty cool. You can check that out if you want to. Um, next, Short Neck Giraffe uh, relative is discovered in China had a very, very hard head, and used its head to bash its rivals, according to Nicoletta Lenice at LiveScience.com. You can look that up and find out more about it. They have some depictions of these creatures here that uh, were the family member of modern-day giraffes roaming in China, very stumpy neck and thick skull, Perfect for these males that would battle each other. And uh, this is noted in the Journal of Science. They are looking at them and um, learning more about them. Dwarf giraffe spotted for the first time 
uh, also in this area. They were built for headbutting, this particular species here. Teeth with relatively high crowns for munching grass, so they were a grazing animal. Based on the size of the fossil, the team thinks that uh, this creature stood about as tall as a modern sheep and had a head similar in length to other comparably sized land animals. Um, has since gone extinct. Tells much more history about it. There's even a video here and a little bit of history on the writer here, Nicoletta uh, Lanise. And you can find out about her here if you want to at livescience.com. Pretty cool. Um, online jewelry making contest. If you want to make some jewelry, if you do crystal or glass or metalwork or metal clay or seed beads or wire work and chain mill, you might want to go to firemountaingems.com and uh, look at this contest. The contest form is there. Um, just go to their site and look up the contest. I think they give you like a $500 shopping spree. I can't see what the actual prize is, but uh, I just didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. I found the form and I found the different uh, categories and they have this every year. And I think there's like, you know, first prize and second prize and third prize. Now this next subject, we could go into this for hours. We're not going to. Um, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should just do a show on specific topics. If that's something you would like, um, please join the social media uh, or send me an email, and uh, which I'm not going to just hand out my email because otherwise I'll have a ton of salespeople. But you can look me up on social media and contact me that way. We're on MeWe, Radical Rocks. You look up Radical Rocks on any uh, social media, even Facebook. I don't go to Facebook very often, but um, if you go there, I'll probably, I'll probably check Facebook maybe once or twice a month. I'm just kind of tired of that format. But anyway, Space Gems, a universe full of rubies, diamonds, sapphires, and emeralds. This is at the uh, Indo-New York um, website. Uh, it's The website is indoneyork.com. So indonewyork.com. And it's about Space Gems. Space Gems, it says, is a universe full of rubies, diamonds, sapphires, and emeralds. Meteorites that bring diamonds to Earth, they rain down on Neptune, Uranus, and other planets rich in rubies, sapphires, and opals. You know, this could be the gemstone mining of the future. I could see um, different, uh, you know, self-unmanned vehicles going and uh, finding these gems and minerals and bringing them back to us many, many months later, bringing riches back to Earth. Meteorites uh, have rained down on the Earth with diamond. One of them sold for several million dollars, a black one, not too long ago. So this is a real, a real thing that people are looking into. This article is quite extensive, going into how diamonds are made. Um, how rubies are corundum and what gives them their color. Um, they talk about the nano diamonds that uh, were discovered in three continents that they feel came on a comet many thousand years ago and could have even been to blame for the disappearance of 
some of the dinosaurs and things like that. If you're familiar with that theory, as most people are, uh, goes into emeralds and beryl and how this is made and how it gets its colors. We've talked about that recently, so I'm not going to go into that too far. But this is a really interesting article. A star named Lucy by Science is honored, her, is honored by the Beatles song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It is possible that this star could have diamonds on it. A group of uh, astronomers suggest that the white dwarf cools during immense pressures in the center, which would cause crystallization, and uh, many gemstones could be found in this. They said that the crystallization rate between 35 and 90 percent since 2004, crystal carbon, which is diamond, can be found on this star, they say. Much information on this, like I said, about these gemstones in outer space. Maybe someday they will be mined. This is another one that could be a whole show. Um, I know it doesn't sound that exciting, but when you go into the details of this, uh, it's really quite amazing what the secrets are, discovering the secrets of simple grains of sand. Again, this is another article from the IndoNewYork.com website. And uh, I just don't see anybody being credited with the article, but if I do, I will point that out because we always do that. Um, this, if you haven't heard about it, sand is all over, of course, but when you look at it under just a magnifying glass, you don't even have to look with a microscope or anything fancy. Sand is actually loose grains that range from about 1 16th to 2 millimeters in size. It starts to get finer than that, and it starts to be classified as silk. So we're looking at the sand. Um, sand is found, of course, in deserts, riverbeds, oceans, all over the Earth and other planets. Its main component is silicon dioxide, which is basically quartz. That's because silicon and oxygen are the most prevalent, or prevalent rather, elements on the Earth's crust. Uh, quartz is very important. Sand and feldspar uh, are other things that are heavy on the Earth's surface that contain potassium, sodium, and calcium, elements essential to life as we know it. There's many more elements in the sand. Skeletal remains from various organisms can be found. Many beaches are made from shells, small mollusks, and fra uh, fragments of oceanic volcanics of uh, granitic, of sedimentary and classic rock uh, fragments, and even more things, chunks of coral and other rocks. So when you look at this sand, it has traveled many times, could have traveled many thousands or even has uh, miles and could have even been traveling for millions of years, so theorizes some scientists. The waves, the tides, all these things bring the sand from all over the world. Um, when sand is different colors, it tells us a story. Black sand is typically a volcanic lava from basalt and can be found in Hawaii. There's actually some green beaches in Hawaii that have olivine, or um, uh, the other name for it is um, peridot. And that can be quite beautiful. Some beaches are made in Hawaii are all quartz. And some of them used to be able to find crystals 
around um, some of the major beaches on Oahu that I just, I can't remember exactly um, where they were, but uh, yeah, I guess you have to walk over that area now and people just don't really find those crystals too much anymore. And some of those crystals have been said to be calcium, but there is a lot of quartz uh, on that. Now, like I said, I am not going to go into details on this, but it is quite amazing. There are beaches that are in um, Alaska that are red from all of the rubies. So different places you go, the sands can be quite amazing. If you were to collect sands from around the um, Great Lakes, I guarantee you would find agates, amazing little agates. And when you put these up on the microscope, they can be quite impressive. Little gemstones that you would find that are very valuable and expensive, you may never find one of any size. But if you go down at the bottom and look for the sands, you may find some in the grains of sand. You may find some very rare gemstones. In Mexico, there's beaches that contain many, many diamonds. My father had gone down there when I was younger and had a jar of these uh, diamonds. They were not considered fascinating grade, but they were commercial grade for um, using as uh, like sandpaper to put on wheels and things like that as an industrial diamond. Now, let's move on to our next um, topic. The RepublicWorld.com tells us NASA's Curiosity rover spots another bizarre-shaped delicate rock on Mars. This picture, uh, you got to see it, it is bizarre. It looks like snakes coming out of the ground, a couple of snakes. One looks kind of like a cobra. They both look kind of look like a cobra. There are these uh, pieces jetting out that are flat and just look like any other uh, type of rock or sedimentary formation that could have eroded away and been left out to be exposed. But uh, these other ones, to me, I'm wondering if they're not like a lightning strike or something where the sand has turned into a glass and then the dirt around it has blown away and weathered away and left this uh, glass standing upright like that. That could be. Um, it's hard to say. They say here in the article, they've spotted another bizarre feature while exploring Mars that looks like a dust-covered uh, or colored plant streaming out of a rock. And uh, they said it is most likely the cemented fillings of ancient fractures in a sedimentary rock. Uh, of course, they feel that that could indicate that there's organisms and water and all this other things. This is a cool rock, said the tweet from the SETI Institute uh, at Gale Crater on Mars. The spikes are most likely cemented fillings of ancient fractures in a sedimentary rock. The rest of the rock was made of a softer material and eroded away. The photograph was acquired by NASA on May 17th. Um, also, they found little images like flowers and concretions on Mars that another tweet is cited here from Abigail Freeman, where she says a beautiful microscopic image. It's not really microscopic. It's about half the size of a penny, I guess. Um, it's shown and claimed to form from water precipitating out of the moisture, so they say. Um, although it could have happened other ways as well. She also has more structures that uh, they have some pictures of. They're very excited in an area called the Pahrump Hills, not Nevada, but on Mars. Uh, 
So they're exploring the area of the Meridor Butte, um, located on Mount Sharp, also called the Elios Mons, within the Gale Crater, um, because they're finding a lot of neat stuff there. It's very difficult for the rover to get around in that area. Uh, it's also getting dusty down there. And um, they're now going uphill to look at some other areas and uh, check out what they can find. Pretty cool, guys. Pretty cool. What dentists think about the tooth gym trend? How would you like to find a nice rock and have it ground a hole in your tooth and put it in your tooth? I don't know if you are familiar with this, but uh, rappers and hip hoppers uh, seem to make getting teeth encrusted with gemstones uh, kind of popular back in the 90s a little bit. And now it is kind of picking up a little bit as a mainstream thing. Um, instead of getting the tooth fully encrusted, this looks like uh, you just carve out a small area and then uh, glue the tooth there. It looks like food would really hang up on it and it would be a nuisance. Um, but uh, if it were clean and your teeth were clean, I guess that would look hip and cool to a lot of people. And this is the thing. It says... Uh, Tooth gems can trap plaque in places for food particles and harmful bacteria to hide, says Dr. Cantor. Needless to say, keeping the gym clean and practicing good oral hygiene is essential if you want to avoid gum inflammation, decay, and other dental issues. Alongside regular flossing, Dr. Appa recommends brushing twice daily with a non-abrasive toothbrush and a soft bristle sonic brush because the vibration offers a deep clean and dislodges food stuck to the gemstone. <laughs> oh boy, crazy. Um, so it's not really recommended, but uh, this isn't something you should try to do yourself. Don't try to super glue something to your teeth. Um, the glue is toxic. So if you think you can get by on the cheap by gluing something to your tooth, that's gonna be very, very dumb. You will need an experienced dentist using a non-toxic material and uh, polish to avoid any bacterial traps. It will last longer. Notice he just says, he doesn't say it'll last forever, but it'll last longer. So uh, if you do know someone who does that, um, okay, to each his own. The Independence Mineral Property in Grant Mining District in Oregon. A lot of times we talk about Montana, but I thought, you know, let's talk about Oregon. Here at the Gold Rush Expedition, you can find out about this property. Um, none of these are sponsors of the show that I've mentioned today. Only Anchor. Thank you, Anchor. But the property is uh, pretty large. It was a working of the Cougar Independence Mines. Consists of over 2,000 foot of working gold veins and loads running through the property. Was last worked in 1950 and produced 22,509 pounds. No, not pounds. Ounces, <laughs> pounds would be great. Ounces of gold since 1907. Reserves have been estimated. The ore at the 650 foot level was reported to assay at 1.06 ounce per ton. Gold has been recovered intermittently by small operators throughout 1956 to um, 1983, but uh, nobody's really been reporting it apparently. Uh, the property boasts a large mill, was in production in 1942, was rebuilt uh, just in the last few years. There's a lot of tailings here, black sand. Um, 
They report wide goal bodies are still in place. There is a need for extensive rehabilitation, but they feel that the production record of over 22,000 ounces of gold that is more than many other districts combined uh, mining operational totals. So the mine was shut down in 1950 due to the death of the foreman and never reopened on a commercial scale. The mine has fallen largely into despair. There are some buildings there. Um, there's a little bit of water in there. Buildings are rotting. But very interesting property with all kinds of history in the Grant County, Oregon area, if that is something you are interested. Now, I like to volunteer down at our church. Uh, I do something called Drop Point, Drop Point Ministries, where we teach young men how to do, um, it's Bible-based, it's bushcraft and boldness. So what we do is we teach young men from 5 to, I guess, about 19, 20 years old. I lead the 5 to 10-year-olds, uh, and what we do is teach them bushcraft and uh, basically how to survive, how, how fire circles work, and how you can make furniture and different items out of wood, and just how to survive outside, lots of uh, topics like that. We we recently used sap, and I constantly call tree sap amber because I'm a rock hound. And actually, the subject came up that uh, we should bring some rocks in and some fossils and let the kids see those because uh, it's important to know about nature and everything that's out there. Actually, flint and jasper and uh, I just found out iron pyrite, all these things were utilized by early man to start fire for survival, for cooking, for things like that. So in this conversation, uh, we were wondering how to get the kids interested into um, geology and rocks and minerals. So how do you get kids started with a rock collection? The ChicagoParent.com goes into that topic and uh, by a Chicago Parent staff member, uh, the Lazardo Museum of Lapidary sponsors this. They also help them start a rock collection, and have several different events for kids. Um, again, the ChicagoParent.com article here. Um, they have their suggestions for starting with rocks, and they include just going on a walk. Uh, I've done videos just going in local areas and looking for rocks or doing research at the museum and finding out what kind of rocks and minerals and stuff are in your area. Go out and collect a variety of rocks. Figure out how to identify which ones are igneous, which ones are sedimentary, which ones are metamorphic. Try to identify those types of rocks in your area. Um, you want to bring a, a book with you. This museum actually helps people to identify their types of rocks. Uh, museums have wonderful uh, events and collections that you can look at. This museum has a rock collecting trip on July the 17th. So if you're in that area, you want to go do that. They are charging $45 uh, to $50 that, to go on this trip where they are going to go to a quarry and look at dolomite, uh, dolostone they call it, limestone, and look at uh, some marine fossils, uh, cryonoids, trilobites, and things like that, anamites, and even coral can be found from this area. Uh, on the 23rd of July, they have another thing called Start Your Rock Collections, $5 per person. They're going to give them a little box uh, to be able to start 
Uh, oh no, it says kids can bring their own egg cartons from home and turn it into a rock collection. They can pick out their own rocks from buckets containing different rocks. So they can get six rocks, mineral, petrified wood, Lake Superior agate, igneous rock, sedimentary rock, metamorphic rock. So this is a really wonderful event. If you don't live near this museum, then look for a gym and mineral club in your area and ask them, what are you guys doing for kids? Because most clubs have a program for kids, and if they don't have one going, then say, you know, what if we come down? Would you do uh, something for the kids? And they, they will be glad to do that. I, I feel very confident in saying that. Um, there might be a few that don't, but I would say over majority of them are going to want to do that. So bringing out your collection and showing your fossils and things like that, making it available if you are a collector, um, let the kids know about it and uh, talk to your local schools and churches and try to get involved and give back with the joy of the hobby that you um, you love so much. All right, the Bateman's Bay Lapidary Club is a hidden treasure. Uh, this is uh, brought to our attention by James Tugwell at the uh, NA Roman News Online. Uh, I guess it's Naroma. So it's N-A-N-R-O-O-M-A news.com.au, our friends in Australia. This couple here has been collecting rocks for many, many years. And um, I suggest you go check this out. Again, it's, it's entitled Bateman's Bay Lapidary Club is a Hidden Treasure. You look that up and you're going to see some really interesting things that this couple has uh, collected. They uh, joined the BBLC, this rock club, in uh, 1985. They've been collecting rocks forever. And it talks about their history history of where they have found these rocks and minerals. They um, have a makeshift home at Bakesman's, Bateman's Bay Museum. Their shed at Mogo Goldfields was destroyed by fires where they were able to shape and polish minerals and gems. They have some interesting stories here. They made a dye out of rhodonite. I have no idea why. what kind of a dye you would make out of rhodonite. I mean, what does that mean? I, I would love to see that. They made a miniature Japanese, Japanese, uh, Japanese samurai sword from New Zealand jade. That would be cool. They have perfume bottles made out of mini minerals and are currently working on a function functioning water well. But the most precious treasures the couples have collected are fossilized ferns from the Loon River in Tasmanian. So they've gone many places that the average person will never be able to see. If you're in Australia or you're planning to go to Australia, definitely check that out. Now, before we get on to our, I would call it the keynote uh, address of Minnesota agates, let's talk about this new dinosaur. Discoveries in Asia and Africa are rewriting the stories of dinosaurs like Stegosaurus. New fossil finds track when armored dinosaurs spread around the world at smithsonianmag.com. Riley Black tells us about this. There's a picture of this uh, club-tailed armored dinosaur, and it just goes into the whole history of Stegosaurus and armored dinosaurs. I'm not going to go into it too much, but they have been finding different varieties of these all around the world, and now they're developing a whole uh, theory on how they might have migrated and uh, these different variations within this species. Of course, they call it uh, evolution, but I would say they're definitely variations of a very similar species, 
and it is really interesting if you're a dinosaur person. The youngest Therizinosaurus found in Japan actually belongs to a new dinosaur species, according to R-E-V-U, excuse me, R-E-V-Y-U-H dot com, uh, Molparia writes about this. And this creature, they have it depicted with fuzz. It has three sharp claws that come out the front um, and has these dinosaur-like toes. has a very unusual beak-like uh, mouth and uh, stands on two legs as depicted in this picture. It was found in uh, maritime sediments in Japan. It's the first of its kind to be discovered anywhere in Asia. This is a group of theropod dinosaurs in other words, they have hollow bones and three-toed limbs, mostly um, uh, herbivores, and the fossil records from China and Mongolia as well as Japan are particularly rich in these Thesinosaurus fossils, which were initially discovered in Asia. But this one is said to be completely different from the others based on toenails and other little bones that they have found in this creature that you can get in some depth if you want to read this entire article. They've got a picture of one of its claws. Pretty cool. Uh, looks like it's about 10 centimeters long. Um, this creature here, they theorize, um, was lived in Asia for significant period times and uh, had a much bigger geographical range than previously thought. And um, they said that uh, a relic from Utah demonstrates that these creatures and similar creatures of this, sub of this type of species are all over the place in a much broader range than ever thought. And now this one variety here is a little different from the others and belongs to what they feel is a complete new species. So there you go. Lost gold mines. One more before we get to, uh, well, maybe two more before we get to Minnesota agates. Our friends at the uh, Junior Mining, uh, I've talked about them before. I get an email from them and they give us a lot of great, uh, great uh, stories and they sell gold mines. But the lostmines.net, you can read about the lost gold of El Paso del Norte. And they have pictures of the area here. And it talks about a legend before 1800s where a young father, Franciscan, named LaRue, was sent to serve the Roman Catholic Church in Durango, Mexico. Um, this is before it became uh, El Paso, Texas today. And a dying friend told him upon the first sight of three peaks that he had turned east and crossed a basin where a spring at the foot of a solitary peak and on the top of that peak would be a very rich vein of gold. So when the crops failed and things weren't going good, this uh, padre led his flock to the north to work the gold. Excuse me, got to have a cup of a swig of coffee here. After searching this area um, in the spring, a solitary peak was found. Undoubtedly, the place was... Herm Brillo Basin and Soledad Peak, also known as Victoria Peak. For many years, the priest and his followers smeltered into bars and storaged in huge cavern, which was part of the mine. When the word reached the church officials in Mexico City, LaRue's County uh, Colony was missing and the settlement abandoned. Soldiers were sent there in search of the party to the north. 
The small group was in La Mesilla purchasing supplies. They learned Mexican army was on the horizon. Hurrying to camp, they spread the alarm. The Padre knew that he left his post without permission and realized that he would be severely punished for not delivering the royal fifth of his gold to Spain if he were discovered. When word was received, the Spanish soldiers were headed toward their mine. Father LaRue immediately set about concealing all traces of the mine, working day and night. The soldiers were drawing closer. They demanded to know where the gold came from and was used to supply to pay for the supplies in Mesa, and the colonists refused to divulge any information. After a search failed to locate the gold, the soldiers opened fire on the uh, pinion who were badly outnumbered and poorly armed, and it was a massacre. The soldiers returned to Mexico City empty-handed and told the story. So another version was that LaRue's colony... Uh, claims that a fierce thunderstorm loosened the cliff above the cave and the landside buried the, the Padre. Um, his gold mine and the cavern filled with stacks of gold bars covering all traces of the site. The story was told to many, adding to the treasure hoard of lost mine gold stories in the Southwest. Years later, Colonel A.J. Fountain of La Cruz, uh, I think that's New Mexico, La Cruz, New Mexico, but maybe there's a La Cruz, Texas. A prominent lawyer went in search of the mine, and Mysterious was murdered after he said he had some information on the lost gold mine. And that is a really good lost gold mine story for you there. Here's another one we could probably do an hour on. We're not going to, but gold mining in Colorado. Again, our friends at Rock and Jim tell us about this and email this article and more to me about gold mining. This was the gold mining uh Cripple Creek in Colorado, United States, is a wonderful gold area. Lots of old gold mines, lots of bleached timbers, oxidized mine dumps, and things like that can be seen. Uh, it's been kind of idle and empty for about 40 years, except for small miners and uh, people just prospecting for the day or the week. But it is up 10,000 feet on the shoulder of Colorado's iconic Pikes Peak, the world's highest major gold mining district. Most of the gold mined worldwide was native metal, but the bulk of Cripple Creek's gold occurred as tellurite minerals. It has a famous uh, caverns underground, a vug that yielded two tons of gold and gold uh, tellurites. Tel now, what those are, um, and I don't know if they have a picture of them here, but if you've ever seen like a sand dollar, well, just imagine like a sand dollar with uh, spikes going out from the very center of it all the way out around the edges. And the, if I'm if my memory serves me right, these tellurites are this one amazing formation of gold that is extremely rare. Um, it's only found in super high grade ore where this particular uh, actual kind of a crystallation, a crystallized formation of gold is formed. Very, very rare and spectacular. If memory serves me right, that's what that is. Um, Cripple Creek was named uh, after a rocky creek famous for uh, laming cattle, and it was Colorado's last and biggest gold discovery. Prospectors have searched through Cripple Creek area, finding gold in trace amounts. Uh, never enough to mine. In 1884, con artists salted claims and 
triggered a minor gold rush in 1884 that drove up land values, but uh, that didn't last long. Uh, ironically, gold, real gold, had actually been discovered at Cripple Creek in that same year, 1884, by a rancher, Bob Womack, known locally as a part-time cowboy and full-time drinker. <laughs> Sounds like a solid guy, right? Found fine-grained volcanic rock and graded 10 ounces of gold per ton. Um, he was obsessed with finding the source of this ore that uh, popped up in his creek and had spent the next six years digging countless prospecting holes without success to nickname, earn the nickname Crazy Bob. So it sounds like he just found one really valuable um, uh, piece of ore for the time, but his determination paid off sometime later in 1890 when he sunk a narrow 30-foot deep shaft into the Bonanza ore. His discovery proved to be a tip-off of the iceberg that prospectors rushed in to make these gold strikes. So there's the history. Colorado's gold mine. Within two years of that strike, 10,000 residents moved in. By 1898, Cripple Creek became Colorado's fourth largest city with a population of 25,000 people. 300 underground mines produced 600 troy ounces, more than 20 tons of gold, worth $12 million, and Cripple Creek had yet to reach its peak and earned another nickname, City of Millionaires. Um, Bob Womack was not one of those millionaires. Um, he had a bad reputation. He couldn't raise the money. Uh, he accepted a few hundred dollars and a case of whiskey for his claims that eventually produced $3 million in gold. Wow. The mineralization of Cripple Creek was caused by a volcanic event. You can read the article. It goes into how this happened. Um, and then about the clink stone, which is uh, possibly from Greek, meaning sound or stone or sounding stone. The sound made when a hammer is struck. The mineralization of porous phenonite was permeated by the gold-bearing solution. So I guess there was a certain kind of a, a gold that was there, this uh, phenolite, impreg gold impregnated. These are those tellurites that I was telling you about. So here's a picture of one in here. They do have a picture of one. And that, I did describe them pretty well. Um, tellurite minerals consist of various mineral uh, that are combined with these telluranium aniums. Boy, rare, soft, brittle, silvery white, Semi-metal, about as dense as honor as iron, rather bonds readily with metals such as lead, bismuth, copper, zinc, and has the greatest affinity for gold and silver. The eight tellurite minerals with gold, silver, gold, silver cations, and the most abundant is selvanite, followed by calvarite. This uh, is a very rare thing. It consists of thirty-four point. 34% gold, 6.247% silver, and 59.38% terillium with a Mohs hardness of 1.5 to 2, specific gravity of 8.2. Crystallizes, uh, has bladed crystals and granular masses with a steely gray to silvery white colors. Photosensitive and tarnishes with lengthy exposure to light. 
You can find out more about this. They've got a rock here. If you zoom into it, you can kind of see the designs of this mineral um, with bleeps of metallic gold. Very, very neat. These ores were roasted to get the gold to blob out and um, then crushed and um, put in a rasters and, and uh, done that way. Mining Cripple Creek. This article is very lengthy. You may, may want to look this up. Mining Cripple Creek here is discussed, the whole history of it. Um, the Cretian Vug, this is another huge area that gold was found. It had a 1,400 small cracks with scrapings of crystals and flakes of gold worth $400,000, uh, probably back when gold was $35 an ounce. This calvarite uh, was graded at 800 troy ounces of, per ton of gold that covered this cavern. The whole floor of it was covered and there was 1,000 stacks of this material that were brought for $100,000. They removed a rock wall and graded, it was graded as 24 troy ounces of gold per ton. The Cretian Vug became, uh, as it became known, yielded 60,000 troy ounces of gold in just over two standard tons worth $1.2 million. The Vug's crystallized gold and crystalline tellurides were mined only for their bullion value. Unfortunately, no specimens were preserved. At gold prices today, the bullions of the Vug's contents would approach $80 million in today's dollars. Those tellurides would be worth even more. Unbelieving. Unbelievable. Very few of these are left um, to be seen today. There's a few of them. Um, again, this was back when gold was $20 an ounce. They also have the gold mining history of 1950 and beyond. They talk about the rebirth of gold mines in the area now that are mining gold and Cripple Creek, the impact of the gold mining and how they're dealing with that. So if you want to check that out, that is a super lengthy article, but really spectacular for those who love gold. Rockandjim.com. Uh, Colorado Gold Mining. All right. Now what I think was kind of a, I thought it was a really neat topic. Um, digging, you'll love digging for agates at the unique Get Pickin' Rock Pile in Minnesota. Um, not, don't hear too much about rock hounding in Minnesota, um, but it is, it is close to uh, the Great Lakes. So, of course, we know about the Great Lake agates, of course, and it's only in your state.com. Onlyinyourstate.com by Betsy Rathburn, uh, posted on June the 2nd. You'll love digging for agates at the unique Get Pick and Pile rock pile in Minnesota. And Minnesota's gemstone, if you didn't know already, is the agate. It is the Lake Superior agate. Lake Superior agates are beautiful. If you have not seen them, you can go to this website and see some pictures of them. But if you go to Colica, Minnesota... This is one of the best spots in the state to find superior agates. I got a friend, uh, Eric Rintamaki. You can look him up. Uh, he is the one who discovered the Euperites, which are a rock that uh, will fluorescent under a fluorescent light. He does actual um, tours, and you can hire him to take you to go find uh, these agates and also the Euperites, which glow under the fluorescent light. <coughs> Just look up Eric Rintamaki or Euperites 
www.jeremyhoffman.com, uh, and he, he will pop up. You can find him on Facebook and other areas as well. I've done, uh, I did a radio broadcast with him uh, quite some time, time ago, and you can look that up too if you want. All right, so when you go to this area, um, they've got a huge rock pile there where they bring the rocks from nearby gravel uh, pits, and within a handful of uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m., you can pay $15 to dig in this spot, but you can go out on your own too. And uh, these agates have beautiful banding and other patterns and colors that are quite pleasing. They have some photographs of them here. Um, also, uh, a fortification type agate here is quite beautiful with banding. If you are an agate hunter, you will love some of these agates. There's whites and browns and yellows and oranges and reds and caramel. A beautiful caramel agate here with striking yellow uh, horizontal stripes running through it, I guess depending on how you hold it. Um, some uh, clouding, almost a plumage also to be seen here. For more information about the get picking area, um, and their things they offer, you can go to their website or their Facebook page, or you can go to onlyinyourstate.com and look up this article. Well, guys, um, I think that is about it. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode, and really thank you for subscribing. And until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.